Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. How's everybody doing this morning? We're all good? Welcome. It's good to see everybody. Uh, We are talking about uh, perfectionism and essentially what would be enough. Now, uh, we've got all of our campuses uh, gathered uh, up in New Bern. They're there. And if you listen real carefully, I think our, our Leland uh, campus is right in the hall. And I bet they're going to be clapping in just a second. So if we can see if we can hear them. Welcome, Leland. Did y'all hear them? Welcome, everybody. Um, so uh, last couple of weeks, last week we started the series. And I had a lot of people who said, Mike, you know, I, I just feel like I need to just stand up and go, okay, he's just talking to me. And so I'm actually going to read all the names of everybody I'm talking to um, right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But uh, you know who you are. And here's the, here's the thing that's going to be really tempting. is because some of you are really good friends with, or you're married to someone who's a perfectionist, and you're going to, it's going to be easy for you to go, oh, he's talking to them. I'm glad they are hearing this. And this morning, I'm actually talking to you, okay? I'm talking to me, I'm talking to you. We're all going to be in this. Um, together. And this, this is, the reason this is so important is because we don't really have a scale or a way. And when you think about this idea of enough is enough, we have to sort of think of this in two different ways, that enough at some point has to become enough for you. It has to be that way. Um, what it's doing to the generation behind us, it is crippling them uh, with anxiety and with fear and this overwhelming sense that they have to constantly prove themselves and it's almost like the floodgates have just opened and just landed um, on all those in the next generation. I know a lot of you my age and up, you struggle with this as well, but it just feels like it's just, it's almost like an avalanche has just fallen behind us. And at some point we gotta draw a line in the sand and just say today, enough is enough. At this moment, in this point in time, we have to do something different because it's crushing you. It's crushing the people that you love. And some of you, you're the reason because you can't sort of get yourself out of these patterns. You're making it very difficult on a lot of people around you. And it's preventing you from actually doing the things that you don't uh, want to do. So one of the things I do, and I've been trying to wrestle this, and I'm learning more and more about my own um, perfectionistic tendencies, which I thought uh, were further in the past than they are. And I've had some reminders this week, uh, over the last couple of weeks, that they're, they're not. And um, I'm beginning to think about this. I, I sit down and try to write down, like, where does perfectionism sort of plague us or where does it bother us or where is it at its uh, greatest sort of effect? Where does it cause things to come off the rail? And what I wrote down is that perfectionism most likely shows up in your unwillingness to put up with anything that you think would be better off if you were in control. Perfectionism more than likely shows up in your life. That, that tendency shows up in your life. Um, in your unwillingness, you can feel it. Your unwillingness to put up with anything, people or circumstances, that you think would be better off if you were in control. And so this is how it sort of emerges. Or then the other side of that is what happens is when things aren't better or things aren't perfect, you beat yourself up because you think if you could have just done it better, if you'd have been more effective, if you hadn't done this or hadn't done that, if you would have exercised more control, whatever it is, then things wouldn't be the way they are. 
So you either live in this constant state of sort of uh, disappointment with other people or intolerance of other people, or you live in this constant state of disappointment with yourself or intolerance of yourself. And it's just increasing pressure all of the time. And one of the things that I think I have to be really careful is we have to define things. We're going to talk about perfectionism. We have to know what form of perfection we are talking about. And uh, there is a form of perfection that we are intended for. And there's a form of perfection that crushes us. And so the way I think our culture defines perfection uh, or the way perfectionists tend to define uh, perfection is like this. This is what we said last week. That perfection is the impossible demand that we place on ourselves in our relentless effort to achieve what we perceive as approval. It's this, this insatiable desire, this relentless demand, impossible demand um, that you place, that I place on myself in, my, in this, this just insane chase pursuit to achieve what we perceive as the approval of others. And perfectionism is what life feels like under this burden. And that's where we just get crushed. There's sort of a hiddenness of perfectionism that we don't always consider or think about. But in perfectionism, shame often sort of lurks just in the shadows. We're just trying to say one or two steps ahead of it because we don't want to feel shame or worthless or, or invaluable or any of those things. So, we, we, so perfection is sort of our response to it. And also what I've discovered, and this is maybe... Maybe more uh, for me, but just in, in case you're uh, find this too. What I find in those tendencies is that anger sort of boils just beneath the surface. There's just this subtle anger and frustration that when things aren't like they're supposed to be, it can come out very quickly. So this is sort of what's happening. This is what happens to us in this. And what we've learned, this is big disclaimer. Last week we talked about this. If you weren't here last week or didn't uh, watch, it'd be, you, know, you might want to take some time to do that because what we tend to think is that perfection, the opposite of perfectionism, if you let go of your perfectionism, then everything's going to just be terrible. Nothing's going to be done right. People are not going to care or your wife's not going to care. Your husband's not going to care. Your kids aren't going to care. Nothing's going to be right. And if you let go of your perfectionism, what you think is that carelessness is the opposite. But what you'll find when you let go of your perfectionism is you'll actually find the hope for fullness. And this is what I want to try and address this morning. The, the curse of perfectionism or the wickedness of perfectionism is that perfectionism is always demanding. It demands and therein, it makes it impossible to receive. A perfectionist is always demanding and taking and grabbing and you find yourself in the impossible position of being able to receive. You cannot receive when you are always demanding. So something's got to give if you're going to really find out what it looks like and what it means to be alive. And so I, I told you last week um, that Julie and I, uh, we've, we've been married uh, almost, uh, we've been married almost 29 years. And um, I told her about, I don't know, the last five years we've made remarkable strides um, in our marriage, particularly in the kitchen. And the kitchen is one of those places where it's always been kind of a, an issue. And um, so I told her, I said, Julie, we are really good in the kitchen. She said, oh, we're, we're okay. I said, what do you mean we're okay? I thought we were really good. She said, no, we're just okay. And so I, I've been doing some assessing and some reflecting and wrote about it in my journal 
So I think I've, I understand what's happening. So let me tell you a couple of things that happened. This, this past uh, year, uh, Julie and I have been baking. Julie has become a baker. Uh, and I affectionately say Julie bakes. What she means by baking is she throws flour all over the kitchen. And so this year I bought her um, a KitchenAid freestanding stand mixer thing, which is the, the real deal. She's one in one since our first year of marriage. So 29 years in, I finally got her one. And so uh, we've been baking. And um, so our journey in the kitchen has often been, because we have, we are completely, we have completely different kitchen philosophies, just totally different. And so uh, we're not very compatible in the kitchen. Uh, when Julie cooks, which she does, and she cooks very well, it looks like a bomb went off, like literally a bomb went off. And there's stuff everywhere. There's dishes everywhere. There's like measuring cups here and measuring cups there. And if she can't reach the measuring cup that she was just using, she just grabs another one out of the bottom. And I'm just like, and they're going, and so I'm like a clean-as-you-go kitchen person. So if I cook, when I'm done cooking, it looks like no one's been in the kitchen. I don't know if y'all have ever had this issue in your house. And so what I would do is I would come in to help Julie cook. And what I was actually doing is I was just doing a little preventive maintenance. You ever done this? I'm actually trying to help her. I'm just reaching around her and picking stuff up and putting it in the sink and trying to clean stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm helping you. She says, you're not helping. You're making me crazy. And what, it, what you realize is that you're actually, and in fact, I don't even have any desire to help her. All I'm trying to do is realize that things would be much different if I was in control. And so I'm just trying to take control. And here's what happens. This is what really happens. I'm doing this. And well, you know, so I'm just trying to help you. You're not helping. You know what eventually happens when you live like that? You end up cooking all by yourself. Because she just says, peace. I'm going to drink coffee and watch TV. Knock yourself out. No, 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 no. Right? And what I realized was that I'm not trying to help at all. I'm not trying to do anything other than to control the, the situation to my own satisfaction. And what I'm doing is I'm actually robbing all the things that I'm looking for in the process. And I noticed this a couple weeks ago when we were doing this with the, uh, the KitchenAid thing. And when it goes in, there's like flour everywhere. I came in there. I was trying to behave, but I start cleaning up the flour. And I'm like, let me mix it because I know I can put the sugar. So we do this again. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm helping. She's like, you're not helping. And so you have to take a deep breath and then enter back into the situation. Because what happens to us whenever you're driven like this, there's a lot of real subtle things that happen that we don't realize. For some of you, when your, your pursuit of this way, you know what I'm talking about though, right? You feel this? Your pursuit of this uh, causes you, your actions, you just become insanely driven. You can't turn it off. You can't stop. You can't stop thinking. You can't give yourself a break. You can't give anybody else a break until whatever it is, is done. Until whatever you think needs to happen, happens. And so you're just driven out of your mind. Or perhaps you finally got things the way they're supposed to be and your whole mode is to preserve them. You just live in this constant state of trying to preserve the perfection that you have finally achieved. Whether it's your job, your finances, your house, your car, your whatever, you're just, you're just trying to preserve this. And what happens is in both of these, there's an emotion that sort of goes along with this. The emotion over here is obsession. You just... You just literally can't stop. 
And for some of you, this is your problem. This is the problem of your pace. You just add more and more and more and more to your life, trying to please everybody, trying to make sure everybody has this, they, they think well of you. Uh, preservation, when you're trying to, you just end up trying to control. And there's a, some variation in both of these things, but you end up trying to control everything. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because this is your mode. You're, you're either like super hyper obsessed with getting stuff done or you are trying to control the crud out of everything around you. And this is, it's just, it's crushing you. Or what happens perhaps is you sort of begin to learn the art of avoidance and you just basically don't try at the things you can't perfect. You put them off, you procrastinate, you whatever. And then you sort of pretend that you didn't really care anyway and you end up, the emotion is indifference. And what you're actually doing is you're, you're, you're using not caring as sort of the, uh, the antidote or the treatment of these two. You can't control it. You can't make it happen. So the solution is just not to care. And so you vacillate between all these things and it's just, way, it's just destroying your heart. What we need is a way that frees us from being paralyzed by this or you know, destroying relationships by this. This drivenness, you know, by the demand that we place on ourselves and ultimately we end up placing the same demand on other people. And sometimes those demands are even unspoken. You're not even aware that you have them. You just run around and you subtly expect everybody else to do what you're thinking or to do what they ought to be doing or to do what you're demanding they do. You don't tell them. You say, and then what happens is you build up resentment towards them. You sort of think less of them. All these things happen with almost without us being aware of it. And what's the... the the real, you know, kind of um, the, you know, the, the wicked side of this is the fact that this paralysis or this pursuit, whichever it might be for you, of finding worth and value, right? What's really going on is this. You are trying to find worth and value in the way that we approve of the approval of others. What you're trying to do is you're trying to find a sense of validation in what you approve of, in how others approve of you. Because if people already think well of you, that's not enough for you if you don't believe it or trust it. So you just keep deflecting it or you don't receive it or you don't trust it because you just keep, you're in this posture that you just can't get out of. And this is what has to happen. And then you read a passage like we looked at last week, Matthew chapter five, verse 48. It's at the very last uh, section of this first chapter of these three, four chapters of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it says this, to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. To be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we looked at this last week in, in detail. Again, if you weren't here um, I, I invite you to listen to that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to flip back uh, to, the, to the book of James, James chapter one. We're gonna look in just a couple of verses in there and our clothes. You have your Bible, your phone, you can open it up to there. We'll look at that in just a minute. But Matthew five, when I began to think about this, is this, this, it sounds like God is commanding you or Jesus is telling you, you've got to be perfect just like God is perfect. And what we explored last week is what is the perfection of God that needs to be seen in you and me? And when you read these two verses, this end of five and the beginning of six together, it paints a little bit of a different picture. It says, be perfect, therefore, for as your heavenly Father is perfect. And be careful not to practice your righteousness before men. Be, uh, be perfect and be careful. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
And be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The reason this is, I think it's interesting to, to, to um, connect these is what a lot of us think when it says, do not practice your righteousness in front of me, and you're going to think almost automatically behaviorally. Now, this is exactly what Jesus is getting at. He's teaching us some things, but he's doing this in a way to undermine what we already think and to introduce us to something else. So when he says our righteousness, your righteousness in, in that the idea, is, it's the Greek word. Uh, and what it means is that um, the, uh, it's, it's what is the essence of what is good about you. Your righteousness is the thing inside of you that you would define or that would be seen as being good. What is it about you that makes you that kind of person, that makes you whole, that makes you full, that makes you free, that makes you complete, that makes you perfect? What is it about you? And, and so the, the literal would be, what is it about you that makes you good? And so what he's saying is the thing about you that makes you who you are, that makes you whole and free cannot be what you produce or what you offer or what you make available to other people. You can't practice this thing to get approved approval of other people. You can't satisfy that there. Because if you do, guess what happens? You'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. What it would literally read like is this. If you keep trying to gain this by other people, you will never be able to receive what your Father in heaven has for you. So the way I, what I, and, I, and the way this literally reads in, in, the, in the, uh, the be perfect literally means to be isn't a command to do something. It is a command to be. It's, it's to be perfect. What it means is to exist in completeness or to exist in fullness as your heavenly father exists in fullness. fullness. To wake up and to simply be, to live in fullness as your heavenly father lives in fullness to live in fullness as God himself lives in fullness. So it's actually an invitation to you. And then the tension is don't then try to pursue that in everything else or you're not gonna ever receive it from God. Remember, perfectionism is always demanding. And when you're demanding, you can never, ever, ever be in a posture to receive. This is, this is exactly how this begins to be seen and to unfold. Um, what I began to think about to exist in fullness when you think about this, this is a very current statement. This is a very right now thing to exist in this moment in this way. And this is what was really intriguing to me as I was reflecting on this. To live in this moment and then to be able to find a sense of satisfaction or depth in what it is that is complete about you. Just a real quick aside. I think it's really interesting the way Paul writes about the gospel in 2 Corinthians 5. He says that God made the Father made him the son who knew no sin to be sin. So Jesus, who did not know sin, who was without sin, became sin so that you and I would become the very righteousness of God. That this transfer of identity, what we receive from Christ would become the thing about us that makes us whole and right and good. So you don't have to pursue that in front of anybody else. It's been given to you in the gospel. So then we read uh, in Ephesians chapter four, and I've just been kind of you know, charting this through, through, my, through the Bible. This is Paul writing a letter, and he's, he's just he's writing as one who has given himself to the Lord. That's how he defines it, a prisoner of the Lord or a bondservant of the Lord. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. 
I, Paul, urge you to walk in a manner uh, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And what most of us feel in that moment is that you need to do better. You need to behave yourself. You need to act in a way that God would be proud of. That's kind of how we've always thought about this. And that's not really the way this should be. It's really interesting how, it's, how, he, how he writes this. It's to be worthy of the, of the calling to which you have received, some versions say. And as I was looking at this, these, these words, these, these Greek words that are used to the calling and the calling, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's a calling to which you've been called. There's these two things that sort of sit there. And this is derived from the Hebrew concept of quara, Q-A-R-A would be the English transliteration, quara. And what quara means is literally to name, to call, or to give an identity to. So what he's saying, like think about if you read like this, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received isn't to act in a way that God's gonna be proud of. To walk in a manner worthy of the call would be to walk in a manner worthy of the identity that you have been given. That you have been given. And the only way the only posture you can be in in order to experience what you have been given is to do what? To receive. So this, this, this idea of perfectionism is demanding. It has to go away or you are never going to experience what you've been created to experience. You're never going to experience what you have been given because you are unable to receive. And so I've been thinking about this and this is, this is where we have to arrange our lives around this. Perfection needs to be redefined because there is to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect actually means something. To exist in fullness as your heavenly father is full actually means something to you. So I sat down in my journal and tried to noodle out a better definition of perfection to redefine it so we can let one way go and let be introduced to another way. And we had to find it as this, that perfection is the fullness found in the moment we trust his promise and his call. Now, I would write it down or take a picture of it or something because there, otherwise you'll just go, oh yeah, I like that definition. And you're, you're gonna miss the most important part of this. Because what we'll do is we'll sit there and we'll look at this and we'll say, oh, we gotta trust his promise and his call. And so we write down his promise and we're like, oh, I like that. And then you're, you're writing your journal, you go, oh, his promise and, I, and, I, and his call. I gotta, I gotta walk in a manner worthy of the calling that I've received and trust in his promise. And what you don't ever do is you don't ever stop and say, what is his promise? What is his call? What is his promise to you? What is his call on your life? Do you think it's you're supposed to be a banker or a doctor or a lawyer or this or that? It, it, that's not what he's talking about. The, the promise we've been given, most of us think that God's promised us is he'll make our lives go better if we do what we're supposed to do, that it'll bring us comfort, that he won't make us struggle, that this won't happen to us, we won't ever feel anxious about anything. These are all the things that we think that God has promised us, and that's not it. What God promises at the base, the very base of his promise is that of redemption. And what redemption means and what redemption requires is that God takes things that are designed to undermine and to harm, and he causes them to become beautiful things. The, the promise of redemption means that God wastes nothing. 
He wastes nothing. That everything that we experience, everything that's in us actually matters to who God is calling us to. And that's the reality is who God is calling us to become. Your calling has much more uh, to do with who you are than what you do. We talked about this last week that a lot of people have to-do lists, but very few people have to-be lists. We're actually launching a podcast uh, this week called Just Think. And the idea behind it is to help people process. One of the things that I'm convinced of is we have content out the wazoo, just an inundation of more content, more teaching, more this. All those things are, are important, don't get me wrong. But the problem in our culture, the problem in my life and your life isn't the amount of content we have available. The problem is that we don't have a way to integrate or to process this well. And so we're creating conversations that deal with just that exact topic. But it says here, the definition, I wanna put this back up on the screen. Perfection is the fullness found in the moment we trust in His promise and His call. We get excited about His promise. We get excited about His call. But I wanna ask you a question according to that definition. Where is this fullness found? In what? In a moment. It is found in a moment. The reason this is important because the problem with perfectionists and perfectionism is that where your sense of uh, fullness is gonna be found is when you get to this place in the future. When this thing happens, when this thing's finally under control, when the kitchen's finally clean, when she finally does this, when all this, when that happens, then you'll find your sense of fullness, uh, fullness and you are missing it because it is available in the moment. This has been on my heart in a huge way. I'm actually writing a book, a second book that will be out next March. And I didn't know this as I've been writing and working uh, just really hard. And what, I, what I've discovered, what just has really landed on my heart is the power of learning how to be faithful in a moment and the freedom that it brings to almost every struggle that we have. And for those of us who struggle with perfectionism, this is really where the freedom gets found but it, because it's a part of a process. In James chapter two, I wanna ask you this question. If, if you were to let go of your perfectionism, what do you think you would have to get used to? What do you think would happen if you weren't a perfectionist? What do you think would happen? What would you have to get used to? There are things and disciplines that you have to engage in in order for this to be broken in your life. There's a process that you have to uh, engage in. Let me just read this to you and then we'll talk about it. James chapter one, and you can just underline this in your Bible. You can circle it. You can tattoo it on your arm, whatever you need to do. But it says to count it all joy, to consider it all joy, to make a conscious decision to say, this is actually something that I'm going to rejoice in. When you meet trials of various kinds, when things don't go like you wanted them to go. For you know, and he says, you know this, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know that when things don't go like you want and you have to respond or react, something happens inside of you. Sometimes you explode because that anger lies just underneath. But if you don't, something else is available to you. Something else happens. And he goes on, he says, this, this steadfastness has, this has to be built. It's endurance. We all know endurance. You don't just wake up and decide to run. I did this. I remember I was excited years ago. I was like, I'm gonna be a runner. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna be running. What you do if you're gonna start on a new venture, the first thing you do is you don't commit to doing it. You go buy stuff that says you're committed to doing it, right? You go buy some new running shoes. You go buy a new little lap watch that has a timer. You buy you some new, you know, uh, AirPods or whatever. And you're like, all oh, or whatever. You're, you're all in on running. Get you some Lululemons or whatever. So you're gonna go run. You're gonna be all fired up about this. And so um, I did this. 
I got going, I was all fired up, having new running shoes on. I take off, put on my favorite song, and I'm riding. I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm running. And, I'm, and, and what, what happens is, and it happens very quickly, you go, I'm not gonna look at my watch yet because you are convinced that you are putting miles behind you. And so I sit there and I'm running and I'm running and I'm running. I'm like, okay, I, like, I'm going, man, I don't remember Don't Stop Believing being like 12 minutes long. And I've gotta be like a mile, two in. I mean, I gotta be going. I look down, I've been running for like two minutes and seven seconds. And you're like, oh my gosh, right, right there. And, and what you, especially if you're running at Wrightsville Beach on the loop, you can't just stop or do that. So you have to wait till there's nobody. And then you have to just kind of roll, like you've been walking the whole time so nobody knows that you couldn't run the loop. And you're doing this, and this is what's going through your mind. You're just like, I'm just not cut out for this. And then I have people tell me, I say, Mike, if you get through the first mile, the first few miles, man, mile five, mile six, mile seven feels so good. I'm like, you are messed up. <laughs> and it took me years. I used to run a lot. It took me years. But over time, pushing through those, ugh, and the pride of having to stop and walk and keep going and then start running again, which is amazing to me that you get one of those little side stitches. You think if you can like wait five or six minutes, it takes like 12 seconds for it to come back, just like that. Like what is, what is wrong with me? And, but it takes a while for you to build up the kind of endurance that's required for you to push through to experience those other things. And this is what he says. He says, we know that when we're pushed, when we're tested, when things don't go like we want them to go, something happens in us that we need, to, we need to embrace because it's building something in us. Most of us are intolerant of the things that aren't like they're supposed to be because we've never had to be. And what happens is you go unformed. You go unformed. What is happening, you aren't becoming because nothing is touching your heart because you're so consumed with all this other, you know, this control that you have to make everything else perfect. He says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And here's what he says. And let steadfastness, allow it, allow steadfastness to have its full effect that you may be what? Perfect, right, perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Exist in fullness as your heavenly father is full. This is the way it happens. I remember this is, this is how it is, and this is low hanging fruit, but I was, you know, I, I was not necessarily a clean freak and I was never been, never considered myself a super perfectionist, but over the years, I, I don't know where it happened, but I remember like being obsessed with the kitchen. And again, this is just low hanging fruit because I don't want to get too personal. Some of you get your feelings hurt. So we just talk about the kitchen. We can all just enter in at our own pace. But what I did, I remember going, like not being able to go to bed with the kitchen dirty. Anybody ever felt like this? There's like dishes in the dishwasher and you're just like flipping out in your head. And so you'll just kind of, you know, you wait till everybody's out. And it's like, you go in there and you bang stuff around. around you're still working and nobody else cares like you do. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So here's what I resolved to do. I said, you know what? I'm gonna go to bed with dirty dishes in the sink. Some of you just had heart palpitations. <laughs> the thought of that just makes you crazy. And so here's what happened. I did it. And you go to bed and you're mad at everybody because they didn't, you just left them there and nobody was responsible as you are to clean them up. So you lay there and you're mad. And you can't believe you're going to bed with the, kitchen, with the dishes in the, in the kitchen and they're dirty and you're just laying there and you're freaking out in your head. 
And then finally, you go to sleep. And then you get up in the morning and you go in there and you see them and you're mad all over again. And this is what you say, I'll never do that again. Let this process do something in you that needs to be done. I had to do it probably a hundred times. And now it doesn't bother me so much. And here's, here's, this is what perfectionists freak out about. What do you have to get used to? If you do that, what do you have to get used to? What are you afraid you're going to have to get used to? You're afraid that you're going to have to get used to a dirty kitchen. That's why you can't do it. This is where you've got to have a better definition. You don't have to get used to a messy kitchen. What you do is you get used to everything not having to be in order in order for you to enjoy your life. And that's what's freeing. That's what you're gonna find if you learn how to embrace this process, if you learn how to understand this. The old system of perfection, there is a process required for everything that God wants to do with you. And there are times when he can just zap and change you instantly. My experience with God and my own personal formation is not that there are places where it has been arduous and hard of just walking through things to break this demand for control, to break this demand for certainty, to be willing to move into a future where I have to trust him. There've been disciplines I never ever thought that I could you know, uh, write and, and, and participate and do the things that I, I've, I've learned to do because every time you start to do something, the first thing that, you know, you look at anybody who's ever done, anybody who's written a song that you love, anybody who's written poetry, anybody who's written books, the first book they wrote, the first page they wrote, the first sentence they wrote, the first song they wrote weren't good. They weren't good. In fact, some places they were terrible. This has been my own personal experience with a lot of this, right? Because a lot of things I didn't do because I couldn't do it. This is no good. But it takes all those things that you do and don't do them perfectly in order for you to start to be be able to do things and participate in things for things to actually change and shape inside of you. That what you have to bring to the world, God intends to bring his beauty and his glory to the world around you through your life. And the process of your own personal formation is important. And he says, we got to count it joy when we undergo things that are hard and they're difficult because they're shaping us and you can't resent the work, you've got to allow it to do its work so that you become who it is that God has called you to believe. I urge you with everything I've got to, to walk in a manner worthy of the identity that you've been given. See, the old definition of perfectionism makes endurance feel like a punishment or like a nuisance. It feels like a nuisance. You think that if you would have done it perfectly, you wouldn't have to deal with this, right? When I was 37 years old, learning how to run, I thought, if I hadn't done this, if I would have kept this since when I was 22, I wouldn't have to deal with this now. And you're like mad that you didn't keep up with something instead of just starting where you are, instead of just doing what's in front of you. This, this old perfectionism is often revealed in your precisely managed and controlled life. And some of you have done really, really well with that. And the better you have gotten at managing and controlling, the more intolerant you are of anything else. And the better you are at getting your way and maintaining control, the less likely you will be willing to endure. And when you are unwilling to endure, you are more likely to be unwilling to change. It's crushing. 
So it feels like a nuisance to some of you, like you shouldn't have to go through that. For others of you, it feels like punishment. It sort of ripples out in the opposite direction. For those of you who are avoid and you've sort of become indifferent, that your endurance just feels like, yep, this is just confirmation of your lack of worthiness. You just getting what you deserve. And you end up always being the victim of what's happening to you or what's happening around you. You're plagued by negativity and your perfectionism is seen or demonstrated often in sloppy and incomplete effort because who cares anyway? And you just continue to be marked by cycles of avoidance and procrastination and ultimately indifference. And it's crushing your soul. It's crushing your soul. So here's what I want you to do. All you perfectionists, I want you to promise to do better. How's that sound? That's freeing, isn't it? Just, just suck it up and do better next time. And some of you are like, yeah. Well, cheers to that. That's what's killing you in the first place. Perfectionism redefined is the freedom of fullness found in a moment in which you trust God's promise and his call. It's found in a moment. And there are moments where you feel it, you're in this room and you feel it. And there are moments when you get out and someone drives you crazy and you're like, that's it, I'm done. And it's, it's always moments. It's always a point in time where something happens. And what I want to tell you is there's a point in time where you can actually really trust and experience the fullness to say, God, right now I trust in that this is useful and that I'm becoming. I trust that. And you, you find yourself sensing this sense of fullness that you've been looking for, this, this depth of joy that's available to us. And then you get back out into the real world and everything, the wheels come off. And this is what I wanna tell you because what I'm finding in my own life, the way I wage war, and it's a war against these things, isn't in promising to do better next time. Instead, it's a resolve to steward the moment. And what I wanna tell you, and I want you to get this in your brain, is the most important moment for you to be faithful the most important moment for you to trust God's work is the moment in which you do not want to do it. That's the moment that matters. And you, you know when this happens. If you're a perfectionist, you know. You can feel it when you walk in a room. You can feel it. You, it's in that moment where you're gonna take, regain control, and it's that moment that is the most important moment for you to say, God, I'm gonna trust you and what you're doing. I'm gonna let this do its work. There'll be plenty of time to get everything perfect like it's supposed to be. Plenty of time to do that. One of the things, I'm gonna stop there. Here's what I want us to do. We're gonna finish this up next week. It's gonna be super fun. But there are moments that you are finding yourselves in right now and you wanna quit or you wanna give up or maybe you're disappointed and you've sort of lost sight 
of the process, of the fact that you're becoming. Maybe you're satisfied with who you've become and anything else is gonna feel like messing with you. My question is, what is it that you need to embrace? What is it that you need to embrace instead of resisting or resenting? Because some of you have ended up resenting your circumstances or people. And say, God, what is it? What do you need to embrace? And say, God, I'm gonna let this, I'm gonna count it joy and I'm gonna let, let this process do its work in me so that I will find what I'm actually looking for. The freedom of his fullness in the moment when you trust that he is using everything for your good and for you to become exactly who he's created you to be. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're just gonna just pray. Maybe hold your hands out. Or maybe if you feel super demanding, you just grab one in a fist and one open just to indicate the struggle that you're in. So Lord, we are here before you and we confess that sometimes we demand that our lives be better or different or that people be better or different that things be more in our control or that this didn't happen. We sometimes demand those things. And in that, what we confess is that we cannot receive what you have for us. So God, help us to open our hands and to trust that in this moment, there's a sufficiency of your grace. That in that posture, our hearts are actually being shaped and we are being made into the person, the people that we have been created to be. Now let us hear you urge us to walk in a manner worthy, to walk in a manner faithfully, to receive the identity that we've been given. And God, that you would free us from all the other madness that we tend to get caught in. So God, I ask you to do that. I ask you to reveal to shape, to form, and to give us the patience to walk through this for the sake of your work in us and for the sake of what you would like to do through us. And so I lift all of this to the name of your son, Jesus, who is our King. Amen.